Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We are continuing our sermon series in Hebrews. The overarching theme of this book is Jesus, the perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. And just going off of what Pastor Steve shared, this is something that, no, we could never do on our own. Our salvation is based solely off of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be able to come together this morning. Despite the weather conditions that we are currently facing, you brought us all here safely to worship you for who you are. Now as we turn to your word, I pray that we can allow your truth to penetrate our hearts as it brings us closer to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is what you would call a bandwagon. What is a bandwagon? We've all heard that term. What what does it mean? See, a bandwagon is when someone becomes involved in a movement or activity simply because it's fashionable. Because it's the cool thing to do. It's the flavor of the month, maybe. We see this a lot with sports teams. All of a sudden, a sports team starts winning, and next thing we know, people are jumping on the bandwagon. One current trend, some of you will appreciate this. I'm sure most, this isn't even on your radar, but I'll I'll clue you in really quick. A new trend with a lot of these millennials and Generation Z, which is the next generation, It's in vogue right now to wear band t-shirts from like the 70s and 80s and 90s. I guarantee you, though, you go up to any one of these individuals wearing one of these t-shirts from a band that was popular 30, 40 years ago, and you ask them, name three songs from that band, they can't do it. Let me tell you about my wife's new Rolling Stones t-shirt. She got there. She got there, but her her 13-year-old son actually had to help her out a little bit. But that's called jumping on the bandwagon. Sorry, honey, threw you under the bus because you jumped on the bandwagon. So you must have fallen off at some point. We do that, though, don't we? I, I think we are all guilty to some degree of jumping on a bandwagon. There's actually a bandwagon that was alive and well in Jesus' day as well. And some of you would think, like, what are you talking about? There was no bandwagon back in Jesus' day. No, yes, there was. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he drew large crowds. People were jumping on the Jesus bandwagon. Then we get to Luke 11. All of a sudden, Jesus goes from drawing these large crowds because it was fashionable at that period in time to be part of what he was doing. So all of a sudden we get to Luke 11 and then now Jesus is being considered receiving his power from Satan. No longer on the Jesus bandwagon. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not fashionable for a period in time. The good news 
about Jesus is not just fashionable for a period in time. Because after all, what does the Bible show us? From the beginning of Luke until the 11th chapter, Jesus fell out of fashion with some people. So it's not just a period in time. No, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is fashionable for all of eternity. The gospel simply will never go out of style, unlike everything else we see in this world. Everything else in this world has a shelf life. It has an expiration date. Jumpers on the Jesus bandwagon are going to have some problems. They're going to have a problem with the title of our sermon. See, those who have jumped on the Jesus bandwagon like it is a bandwagon, like it's just something fashionable for a period of time, are going to have a problem avoiding judgment. And that is simply the title of our sermon this morning, Avoiding Judgment. We're in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're closing out chapter 10 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 39. I want to share something really quick that I heard this morning, though. I, I really appreciated it. I'm going to not name a name, but somebody brought up this morning how when they first started coming to this church, they, they found out we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, and they thought to themselves, oh, geez, how boring is that going to be? Until they proceeded to share, man, I'm learning so much. How could this ever be boring? Church, this is our guide. That's why every Sunday morning we go through verses. We want to teach this book in its entirety. We want to teach this book within its context. What I'm saying here this morning from God's Word should line up with what Pastor Jared is going to share next Sunday, so on and so forth. You can hold us accountable because of what you know of God's Word. We can hold you accountable because of what we know of God's Word. And that's exactly what we're going to get into this morning. So we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 39, but before we read these verses out loud, we can't forget what we learned last week. We learned that we were encouraged in Jesus' invitation. We were invited, we've been invited by Jesus himself to enter the holy places, that that place where only the high priest could go behind the veil back in the day with the tabernacle. Because of the work of Jesus, we now have access to God himself. We need to respond to that invitation like we said last week by RSVP. We need to let him know that we are in. Today we're going to be discouraged from being a bandwagon jumper. Don't do it. But we're going to be encouraged to truly being committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we're going to be encouraged in avoiding judgment, which is actually reserved for those who have been jumping on his bandwagon anyway. So let's get into this text and we can see this this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of the judgment and of a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by those who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him 
Who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their soul. Preserve their souls, shall I say, not persevere. Kept on wanting to say that in my mind each and every time this week as I was reading this text, but it's actually preserve their souls. Amen. What we're saying with all these verses this morning, quite simply, is this in one sentence. See, that sentence states this God's judgment is reserved for those who refuse his grace. It's that easy. God's judgment is reserved for those who refuse His grace. Because after all, grace is a gift given freely that we receive. There is only one way to avoid God's judgment. Only one way. And that is by accepting and committing oneself to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. It's clear from verses 26 through 31 that God's judgment is real. In fact, it is clear from these verses that God's judgment is reserved for His people. As you may remember, and we briefly mentioned it at the outset this morning already, but the high priests performed sacrifices in the holy places, but he did it for sinful ignorance. He sacrificed for the sins that the people committed that they didn't realize that they were actually committing. See, those who are sinning deliberately, as it says here in our text, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. So what happens is there are sins of ignorance and then deliberate sins. And what's happening here, what's being addressed are those who have heard the good news of salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. They already know the gospel. They know about grace. They've been told, you can't do anything to save yourself. They know that salvation is based upon Jesus and His work alone and nothing that they could do on their own themselves, but yet they still continue to sin. Jesus' sacrifice does not cover this type of sin. Which is why verse 26 ends by saying this, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Those who know the gospel, but yet refuse to repent, and by repenting we mean 
acknowledging your sin, confessing your sin, and then turning away from that sin and turning back towards God. So, so those who know the gospel, but yet they refuse to turn away from their sin and turn back towards God, they're practicing what is called apostasy. That's the apostate church. And what that means is to abandon, to leave. Kind of like jumping on a bandwagon and then jumping off that bandwagon. Brothers and sisters, a true believer, now listen to this, a true believer, somebody who is clearly saved by Jesus and through his work, will always be bothered by their sin. See, they may commit sins of ignorance, but when that sinful act is brought to their attention, it will bother them. It will bother them to the point of repentance. See, this isn't about, well, you you show that you're saved because you don't sin. It doesn't work like that. If that were the case, none of us are saved. This isn't about not committing sin. This is about what do you do when your sin is brought to your attention. That's what we're getting at. That's what the author is getting at here in chapter 10 at the end of this chapter. If you're truly saved by Jesus, when your sin is brought to your attention, it will bother you to the point that you want to turn away from it and turn back to your Father. Too often and sadly, I think we get it wrong. We think that we're doing good on our own because we do good on our own. We need Christ. If there is only one way to avoid God's judgment, then only one way could be had to have had received it. One way to avoid God's judgment, one way to receive God's judgment, and that's to reject what's known about Jesus. So those who do will, as it says here in the text, have a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Brothers and sisters, God is not messing around. For everybody that wants Jesus to be some tree-hugging hippie that just loves everybody despite their sinfulness because that's exactly what the world's peddling right now. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. Because we got to love. Because love conquers and love triumphs all. That is not true. Love can only conquer all. Love can only triumph over all if love is accompanied with God's holiness and His righteousness. God is holy first and foremost. He loves from His holiness, but because He is holy, He cannot be in the presence of sin. That's the reason why we accept Jesus and His sacrifice, that invitation that He sent us last week to enter with Him into the presence of the Lord. Because when you're in the presence of the Lord, when the Holy Spirit lives in you and that sin is brought to your attention, it will bother you to the point of repentance. And unfortunately... And I know this is just the way life works. 
We've already had people leaving this church because they don't like their sin being exposed. And that's unfortunate. Instead of repenting, being ministered to, restoring the relationship, they would rather just leave. I hope if you bring sin to my attention, I respond in a way that's biblical, that wants to repent and turn back towards God. Because after all, we've learned two weeks ago, you can't re-crucify Christ. His sacrifice was one and done. Kind of reminds me, with God not messing around, because this is serious. I mean, we serve a Lord who's going to judge with a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries? That's the God we serve. That's who saved us. That mentality and what happened to Christ upon the cross and speaking of God's love reminds me of the story that I came across from a father, a, a husband, during World War II in Nazi Germany. He was a German citizen. He went against the Nazis. But then he got arrested for going against the Nazis. And when he sat in prison, it was bothering him. And he made it his mission to figure out who turned him in. Not because he wanted to get back at the person. He wanted to know who ratted me out. Because that's the only reason why the Nazis found out that he was in opposition to them. And upon getting out, he found out that the person who ratted him out was his own son. This man learned that one day, and then he died the next. The news of his son's betrayal crushed him. What God has done for us through Jesus is on a love that's even more greater than that. Because He loves us so much, because He's given us this invitation to go in the holies, He's telling us now that He will punish those who refuse Him because He loves His people so much. He loves His people so much that He's invited us into His presence, but yet He's going to crush with a fury of fire that consumes those who have refused to repent from their sin and accept Jesus. That's a story that you don't hear often. That's a side of our Lord that people don't really like to talk about. But that's exactly what it says in the text, which is precisely why we go through verse by verse through the Bible. And like I've already said, here at Villa's Grace, we've had people leave because they don't want to be exposed. God's love for His Son, as it says, is fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversary. See, God's love is for His people, and we can never forget that. And that's why he takes it serious when we reject him. But all that's being required of us is confession. That's the beauty 
of being a believer. Only thing God is asking us to do is confess our sin. And we know that's true from the Bible. 1 John 1.9 says this. I'm just going to read for you. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Turn away from your sins and turn back towards God. Observe verse 29 and think about that German father during World War II. So we put verse 29 on the screen there for you. The father was trampled underfoot. He was trampled underfoot like Jesus is trampled underfoot by those who reject him. Not on the same level, but it's an example of what happens when you reject Jesus. The punishment is worse for those, as it says, that outraged the spirit of grace. Do you think the German father showed his son grace? Do you think that the father saw that boy grow up and over the years extend grace over and over again to his son as he knew he was growing? I know how that, that works as a father. I'm sure some of you as a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle, you know how that goes. You see somebody who's young and hasn't learned everything yet, you extend them grace, you allow them that room to grow. And that's what that father had done for years to his son and then his son betrayed him. And that's exactly what God is showing us that he's done for us. He's been extending us grace all along for the purpose of us confessing our sin. He's given us ample time to come to him, confess our sin, be cleansed of our sin. This is why it's important that we don't jump on the bandwagon. Because if we treat Jesus like he's a bandwagon, we will eventually reject him. It's through Jesus that God has revealed his grace too. We wouldn't know God's grace if it wasn't for Jesus. Grace is actually the cornerstone of the gospel. It's in our name. It's very important. Villa's Grace Church, the name of the neighborhood, Grace. Those who come to God will not receive His judgment, but will receive His mercy. No matter what it is that you have done. If you confess your sin, you will receive God's mercy. But God's mercy coincides with His grace, this gift that He's given us. He's given us the gift of what Jesus did, sacrificing Himself for our sin. Quite simply, we could just say it like this. God's grace leads to confession and repentance, both of which avoid His judgment. It's that easy. The grace that God has given us leads to confession and repentance, both of which avoid His judgment. Receive God's grace, respond in repentance, Avoid his judgment. It's opposite for others. Reject his grace. Deliberately sin. Then you receive all of his judgment. Us, believers in Jesus, as Christians, we get to avoid his judgment. Again, our main idea that summed all of this up this morning states this. God's judgment is reserved for those who refuse his judgment. Grace. This right here is the world's mentality. That, that famous question, what have you done for me lately? The gospel isn't about me. 
The gospel's about he. Jesus' servant mentality that he had when he was on this earth would never ask this question. See, this question comes and gets asked when you forget where you've actually come from. That's the problem. Forget what God has done. Forget what God is doing. Forget what God will do. When you forget all three of those, the past, present, and future aspects of salvation, you will ask questions like this. What have you done for me lately? Brothers and sisters, we're being asked to preserve with endurance. With endurance. Life takes endurance. Which means it's not easy. People with this mentality will never make it to the end because they won't have the endurance necessary. Verses 32 through 39 are an encouragement in the perseverance and endurance that we're being asked to partake in. So, when these Hebrews first came to a saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says this, it says that they endured a hard struggle. Huh. Come to a saving faith in Jesus, and then you endure a hard struggle? That's the Christian walk. They endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Wait, wait, hold on. Come to a saving faith in Jesus, and you're going to suffer? Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction? Their faith and their safety was threatened. So what I'm gathering from this is, is, is this. Come to a saving faith in Jesus, and you're going to have problems. Okay. After all, it's not about this life anyway, is it? These Hebrews were served by sharing in each other's sufferings. They served one another because they shared in their sufferings collectively. That's exactly what we should be doing, church. That's why we are brothers and sisters and we are a church family so we can share in such a way. We may just have the same opportunity here and we can't forget that. Not if we have a what have you done for me lately mentality though. But when we come to a saving faith in Jesus, this happens. When we watch others come to a saving faith in Jesus, this will happen. But we can't have the mentality, what have you done for me lately? No. We must continue to serve. And speaking of having the same opportunity, verse 34 is rather convicting. See, a Christian's future could imply prison and or theft. I mean... Because you're saved, it may just mean that you get everything stolen from you and you end up in prison. However, verse 34 ends on a positive note. It's actually positive hope. Compassion towards others is the result of knowing that you have a better possession and abiding one. You know... You can never lose what's owned by Jesus. I mean, you can have your car taken away. You can have your bank accounts frozen. You could lose your home. You could lose it all. But what's owned by Jesus can never be taken from you. Which also means... You can't lose your salvation. Once 
Jesus has given you his salvation. Nobody can take that from you. So put me in prison. Put us in prison. Take away our possessions. You can't take our salvation. And that's the point of the church anyway. We're in the church age to quite simply share our faith with others. This is the confidence referenced in verse 35 where it says confidence that has great reward. Great reward that's being referred to in verse 35 is in fact an internal future with Him. It is our eternal salvation. See, these Hebrews needed confidence along with endurance because they faced persecution. Brothers and sisters, persecution is coming for us. Persecution is coming for us too. And when it does, we need to start learning now how to trust in God during trials. Remember, endurance accomplishes God's will. Endurance receives God's promises. Endurance grows mature Christians. So when sinfulness happens among us, we need to show some endurance. We need to be there to remind each other towards the end goal. And as we're reminded, we're growing, we're maturing, we're becoming better equipped at walking with the Lord. But that's only going to happen if we learn to share in these sufferings together. So as Joe comes up and joins, we close out. Verses 37 and 38 are quoted from Isaiah and Habakkuk. See, we need to exercise patience until Jesus comes. Until Jesus returns, we need to exercise a tremendous amount of patience. God's grace is the confidence in the endurance needed. That's it. We need nothing more than God's grace alone. And also like Jesus we too shall live by faith. He is the righteous one. See, that means we get to live from His grace. We don't live and do things to earn God's grace or earn more of His grace. That's not how it works. We need to learn to live from the grace that God has extended us. And that means when we are suffering together, we extend one another grace, the same grace that God has extended us Christians should never shoot their wounded. Christians should rally around the wounded and restore the wounded back to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, chapter 10 ends with unprecedented hope. Those who shrink back, as it says, those are our bandwagon jumpers. The ones who shrink back are those who know the gospel here but don't have the Holy Spirit here. They are the ones who are destroyed. But however, it's those who have faith, they preserve their souls. Those who have faith. It's our faith in the work of Jesus that will preserve our souls. Those are the ones who are avoiding judgment. Which is why we can say this this morning. Faith in Jesus leads to the confidence and endurance necessary to out 
live this world. Faith in Jesus leads to the confidence and endurance necessary to outlive this world. We know that we have an eternal future because of our faith in Jesus. We know that we're going to outlive this world because after all, what does God say? He's going to destroy the heavens. He's going to destroy the earth. And he's going to create new heavens and new earth. And because of our faith in Jesus, we outlive this old place anyway. Again, we also stated this. We stated that God's grace leads to confession and repentance, both of which avoid His judgment. You want to avoid God's judgment? Confess your sin and repent from it. And finally, our main idea that tied all of these verses together states this. God's judgment is reserved for those who refuse His grace. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for your work upon the cross. Our prayer is to be a church that can move forward with your good news so we can share Christ with others. Use us so we can see others come to a saving faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email connect at villasgrace.com